ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Competition is Welcome to another edition of Hard to Pay with David Grubb. And today I am joined by two friends um, as we do our second Saints check-in with my partner in the Dome Patrol, Ross Jackson, and the opposite, as we call her. <laughs> the one and only. You are the Dome, I am the Patrol. That is <laughs> That's right. right. That's right. The Patrol, <laughs> Maddie Hudak, <laughs> who joins us. Guys, it's been so long since we've gotten to do this, but I'm glad to have it. This seems again, it's a perfect point in the season um, to get to talk to you both. A lot to dive into. So let's begin with the state of the Saints. Five and six, tenth in the NFC. Um, but this is not a bad posi- position to be in. Overall, seven teams in the conference between six and five and five and seven. With the Saints schedule up ahead, there's still a great chance at a playoff run. Maddie, how are you feeling about the black and gold? I mean, it's hard to be optimistic after, you know, an 0-1-4 run, but at the same time, you know, that eventually has to, you know, something has to change in that regard. So, you know, the fact that the playoff race has really been kept, like, unprecedentedly close. I don't think I said that word correctly. I think I missed a syllable in there. Um, But the fact that, yeah, I mean, I think what's really happened was expectations were perhaps, like, too highly set in the first couple of games, despite, you know, these problems that the Saints are having now in terms of injuries and depth problems and, and, you know, talent and lack thereof at certain positions. Like, those, those weaknesses were all there, but Winston was, you know, elevating his team past those weaknesses. And I think the like psychological effect of losing Winston for the season a year after you losing, like, you know, their quarterback for 15 years, like for the players too, like there's a psychological aspect of that. That's kind of hard to ignore. And so it's really easy to kind of, you know, backslide when, you know, everything's kind of going that way in terms of injuries and bad matchups and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I can't remember a time where th- this was actually, you know, nothing's really changed in the playoff picture for about three weeks, despite the Saints, you know, losing four games in a row. That's crazy that they're still in it. And, and weren't we all, you know, kind of expecting a wild card berth in the first place? I, I right. mean, I, I think, like I said, expectations got a little lofty with like division titles, but I always saw this team as kind of a scrappy wild card berth, if anything, this year. So the fact that that's still a possibility, I, I think tonight is really important for this team. Yeah, Ross, you know, we talked about this at the beginning of the year. If we thought nine or ten wins was probably the ceiling for this team, no matter what, the how we got here at five and six may not have been the way we predicted it, but you're still in position to challenge for a playoff spot. And considering everything, that's all you could have asked at this point of the season. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, you look at everything that the New Orleans Saints have been through, no wide receiver one, no running back one, no quarterback one, no left tackle, right tackle one, no left guard one, no tight end one. And then you can look at the same thing over on the defensive side and list a bunch of those as well. But when it comes down to it, you know, to be where the New Orleans Saints are right now, to where, yes, they're in 10th place, but they're tied all the way up to seventh and they're tied all the way up to a a playoff position. Getting and being at this point is enough to is enough to say that it's not time to throw this season away. And I think that's the big debate that's happening right now. Is it time to play for draft positioning? Is it time to 
play to compete. And listen, Sean Payton, this New Orleans Saints organization, they're never going to play for draft positioning. They're they're never going to. They're going to be competitive all the way down to games that quote unquote don't matter. They'll be mathematically eliminated and they'll still be competitive. They might go ahead and try to take a look at what they've got at some point in the season. If it gets bad enough at other positions, what does Ian Book look like? Do you have anything in these players? Do you have anything in the players that might be sort of you know, on the cusp when it comes to the offseason, a good roster evaluation moment for them in the last couple of weeks if they're mathematically eliminated. But even in that situation, you want to be competitive because that's the only way that you get an accurate read on the players that you have on this team. So for them to be where they are right now, regardless of how pretty it hasn't looked, particularly over the last four games, consider that you were down to your third string quarterback for four games. I think that the New Orleans Saints are in a position right now to where they still very much see themselves as competitive and in reach for a playoff spot. And that's all it takes is to get to the playoffs, right? Especially now that seed two doesn't matter anymore and you're playing in this new super wild card weekend format, you know, you get the Nickelodeon game that weekend, no matter what. It doesn't matter for them. If they can get into the playoffs, that's what they're going to be playing for. And the change to Taysom Hill at this point in the season shows you that they are willing to continue to do whatever it is that they feel is necessary to be competitive in these matchups. And there's no point when you've already got five wins in the pocket to start tanking anyway, because you're not going to drop low enough to catch those really bad teams. You're not catching the Texans. You're not catching the Lions. You're not catching... Those teams have those real, the, the top three, four spots all locked up. So what are you doing is competing in either, either way. If you miss the playoffs, you're competing for a bunch of marginal positions in the first round of the draft. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say like, I just, you know, just because we might think, you know, tanking is a good idea. doesn't mean that there's any, you know, player that's worth tanking for that, you know, is, is a perfect fit for this team that would, you know, justify for lack of a better term, you know, a, a not, trying to win the rest of the season out because like you said, when you already have five wins, you also know that you're a team that can beat teams when you're mm-hmm. somewhat at full speed. But I just, I would like to know who everyone is, you know, targeting in the draft uh, at that point, because, you know, it's easier said than done to tank for a player when there really isn't one that fits your needs. Right. And you don't know if they're going to pan out. You have no idea. Yeah. Like you look at the wide, and I know everybody is talking about getting a wide receiver right now, but you look at the wide receiver crop from the last draft, you've got Jalen Waddle, Devonte Smith and, and Jamar Chase, all of which were taken very high in this draft. And those are the ones that are panning out. That's it. I mean, some of these other later round guys haven't panned out. Uh, from this season. So you're never guaranteed to get that immediate impact that you're looking for when it comes to this NFL draft cycle or any NFL draft cycle. To me, one of the things that being competitive and keeping sort of that winning culture around this team ends up helping you do besides not only potentially getting into the playoffs, but it proves something to the players that you're trying to retain going into the next season. And it continues to make your team, which New Orleans Saints have been for years and years and years, a free agent destination for players. And even though sometimes they haven't gotten some of those contracts done, they've always been in the conversation for draft players, you know, for for free agents that they had no business signing in some cases. <laughs> Right. Like, but even still getting guys like Demario Davis to come to New Orleans and be the second best free agent acquisition of this franchise's history, getting a guy like Emmanuel Sanders to come to New Orleans to try to get one more Super Bowl ring for Drew Brees, getting Jared Cook, who everyone all of a sudden misses in the building a couple of years ago to the point where he
he even went missing for like an entire week before we knew whether or not he was going to sign with anybody. Like the New Orleans Saints ability to be able to bring in free agents comes down to what Terry Fontenot did, but also comes down to what Michael Parenton can continue as the uh, pro personnel, um, the general manager of pro personnel or AVP of general personnel, mm -hmm. the guy that's able to help all of this happen because of the culture that's grown and bred by Sean Payton and the rest of this organization. Before we that and just to quickly say, just to note on the draft thing, if the Saints want a player, they'll try to trade up and get that. Like right. they've shown right. precedent right. To, to make those moves. So they really don't need, like if the player is there, they'll, they'll try to make the play for it either way. Just to say. very good point. Yeah. yeah. If, you, if it's, it's only if you're one, two or three and you're playing for the consensus number one pick in the draft, there's somebody that you have to have and you're in right. that two and three win, win range. Sure. But that's, right. that's which, by the way, there won't be a consensus number one pick in no, this draft. There's no Joe Burrow. There's no Trevor Lawrence at all. There's not at all. Not at all. And um, before we move on to the on the field stuff, the the talk again has kind of heated up again about the, the future of Russell Wilson and the Saints mm -hmm. potentially being a target. I think your point about them playing well yeah. down the stretch, if you're going to convince Russell Wilson to leave a bad situation in Seattle where mm -hmm. there are clear receiving talents established in DK Metcalf. And you have, I mean, they've got a three receiver deep room right now. Saints don't have that. Think about an offensive line that's in flux, just like the Saints do. If you're going to play poorly down the stretch, you're not making yourself more attractive to a guy who's in the later half of his career, right. no matter what, and is looking for a chance to win. If you think you're a destination for Aaron Rodgers, you're not going to tank down the rest of the way and look like a team that's not a step away from being back in the elite right. level of the NFL. Right. Just don't right. see. Yeah, yeah, the Saints have six games to say you're the key to making this a championship team. Yep. And with those six games, starting tonight with Dallas, then the Jets, Tampa, Miami, Carolina, Atlanta, four of those six seem like reasonable, winnable games, and the potential is there to win five of six. Um, if you steal one of the either Tampa or Dallas tonight would be considered a steal because both of those teams have better records than the Saints. But it's viable. It's reasonable that this is a nine and eight team or potentially a 10 and 17. And there's a strong chance, again, that that makes the playoffs this year, considering mm -hmm. the Bears made it in with, a, you know, an eight and eight record last year. Uh, you know, a winning record with an extra wild card spot to me should, you know, spell out because I, I mean, the Vikings, I never know how to get a pulse on them, honestly. They're, they're, they're the so, yeah, like they, they beat the Packers and then, you know, act like the Vikings the rest of the time. And the same thing with the 49ers. Like I can't get a read on Jimmy Garoppolo or really the state of their team. They kind of have these Falcon like five game stretches of like beauty. And all of a sudden they're in the playoff picture when they weren't even a, a conversation a couple weeks ago. So there's a chance that their seasons aren't able to sustain that. And at least the saints, like it's not their first time around the block in terms of adversity and, and things happening to them. I think they reached, you know, somewhat of an insurmountable level over the past few weeks, but getting, any few more players i mean honestly getting Taysom hill back is is actually you know a player on this offense what he's going to be able to do at this point unclear but he's still more chips than they had you know the past couple of weeks they've just been so depleted but i think yeah i mean the jets they should beat the jets to be honest like that's one of the games the dolphins i honestly don't know I, they really have to take advantage of those remaining division games too because yes. that's that I don't remember tiebreakers and I quite frankly just don't want to get that deep into them again, but I know that matters and like letting that Carolina game slip away in week two in the way that it did, it would be really satisfying, especially, you know, in this odd Cam Newton era. Right. Well, I don't even know the, who they'll be starting at that point. 
Uh, and they really, they have to beat the Falcons and, and kind of get that back, like for morale, especially if they're going into the playoffs. That's a really good way to finish strong, beat divisional opponents, and then, mm-hmm. you know, be a lot more confident heading into the playoffs. And yet there's, I don't see in the NFC outside of Arizona right now, do you feel like the rest of the division leaders? I mean, the Packers still, what are they for? You know, we don't really know how good they are. The Saints beat them pretty handily, and they've lost some games, like to the Vikings that were surprising losses. The, the uh, Rams have lost three in a row, and Matthew Stafford has looked very much like Detroit Matthew Stafford in those games. So the Saints, if you make it in, I'm not saying the Saints are a Super Bowl contender, but you could steal a round of the playoffs. You don't know based on, depending on what the matchups are at that point, who knows? Because you're hopefully, if you're the Saints, you've gone through the worst part of your health. Right. I was like going to say at that point, point, hopefully, you should have people like CJ Gardner Johnson back. Maybe Peyton Turner. Hopefully, Peyton Turner. Unless that was season ending, I don't know. But it was Marcus not. Davenport. Uh, maybe Adam Trotman. You know, there's a lot of players that, if they're able to get there, would be able to, you know, poised to make a return. Um, kind of like Michael Thomas last year, where we were all kind of, you know, waiting on a prayer almost for him to. Mm-hmm potentially come back or not, but there's so many of them that it just, they have to kind of not let the season slip away in these next couple of games to make. Yeah. There's a real reality that the saints could bring the healthiest run game in the NFL into the wild card round. (laughs) If they get there with Alvin Kamara, with Mark Ingram, and then with both of their tackles, hopefully back and healthy by that time as well to where really the only piece that you're missing uh, on offense, on, on that offensive line would be Andrews Pete, but Calvin Throckmorton's played really well there. Uh, James Hurst has played really well when he has been in that left guard spot. He struggled over the right tackle yeah. spot, but the guy's also played three positions for the Saints right. already <laughs> on the offensive line this season. So, you know, I mean, you know, you get, you win some, you lose some, I mm-hmm. guess, when it comes to that. But, you know, they could potentially bring a very, very healthy run game in if they can get on the right side of the injury bug here moving forward. Uh, and that seems to complement just, you know, what this team should look like under Taysom Hill at, at the helm right, to me. Good point. It would be yep. a strong running attack team. And and that's that's the next point is as Taysom Hill now takes over as a starting quarterback, it's his job for the for the rest of the season, unless he is hurt again. Um, you'd have to imagine this is this is his opportunity, even more so than last year when it was he was thrown into that that job. Um, Ross and I talked about this yesterday. He's had an entire offseason where there was a specific game plan and offense put together for him, different than what they put together for Jameis. He got the reps of a first-team quarterback for the most part in the offseason. He knows these guys. Um, Certainly there will be some adjustment based on what talent is out there with him, but this is the audition he really – that Taysom Hill and people like you, Maddie. And I'm not saying I'm different from you, but you have gotten into your wars. Oh, I know. (laughs) You have fought wars to get to this point. Again, when I said courage in your convictions uh, at this point, I have to see this one out. Um, And, you know, if it doesn't pan out, it doesn't pan out. But I agree where I think this is. It's almost like an, you know, unprecedented opportunity for this situation, considering everything that's happened. You know, it's not that he last year you're right and there was still controversy last year over whether you know Jameis should have been the starter for that four game stretch over Taysom Hill despite you know going three and one um and again I think you know finding out perhaps a little you know too much about his evaluation at that point um whereas you know if if he hadn't played those four games I, I don't know how that perception really would be um it's definitely a question but at this point I mean Simeon has gone 0 and 4 and it's not Simeon's fault and 
I feel like that's where this, you know, nuanced discussion loses nuance because it's kind of the same thing that happened with Seamus under center. I just think again, that when Drew retired, there was going to be a lot of turmoil. There are going to be a lot of people wearing different hats, but you have to try something to me. And I don't know. I still don't know why we didn't see, you know, him take off and run in that four game stretch last year, but to your point about them designing an offense for him, I, like when he's gone in, he's thrown legitimate passes. It hasn't totally been, you know, trick running plays. When he went in and that Falcons drive, you could see that there were clearly chemistry there because he had, I mean, he's been in this building for three or four years now. And that's really where his edge comes out when we're talking about, you know, him versus Trevor Simeon to me. And he's also been in the huddle at all of these positions. So having that extra familiarity of like the tight end route, because he's ran it a hundred times himself. I think that gives a little edge to the situation. Um, and I also was thinking about this earlier um, with his concussion. He still looked like, you know, he was recovering from that when he came back in. And I believe, you know, got that foot injury in the Titans game. I think that this additional rest for his foot was kind of a blessing in disguise because you can tell just by his demeanor, um, in his press conference this week, you know, that, that jovial, like joy is back in him. And I, I mean, I've been concussed before. I know how they really, you know, affect you mentally and knowing how he struggled in the past with things like reading the field and stuff like that. When you add in that, you know, the pockets collapsing very quickly at this point, there's, you know, question of who can set the protection calls at this point. So then him asking him to read a defense in those conditions with brain fog, that's really difficult. And I also think that also favors a kind of one to take off read type of offense, which is really to me, you know, what makes the most sense for him, at least at this stage in his development. Uh, and I know that he has a foot injury, but the foot injury is going to affect his play, whether he's running or throwing, because if you have to plant your foot to throw a ball, if that's painful every single time, it, it's, you know, not that different than taking off. And I think they've kind of said, you know, it's, it's healed. It's more of the pain management perspective at this right. point. So I don't really think you know, one versus the other makes that much of a difference, but to me, you can't, you know, restrict him in the way that he kind of was last year by who's doing, I don't know, but you really have to see this mobile quarterback thing out. Uh, especially when you have someone like Ingram now who is kind of subbed in for Camara as a receiving and running threat. So I think being able to play the two of them off of each other alone takes that, eon of pressure off of the offensive line makes the you know midfield defenders perhaps hesitate a little bit even if it's just for half a second but to me that half a second hesitation saw Deontay Harris and I, I believe it was Traquan Smith be wide open when Taysom threw the ball to both of them because everyone kind of stayed up there for the run threat so that's really what I my argument was for Taysom this whole time was it wasn't you know I'm saying he's the next Steve Young that he's the best quarterback ever, that he's quarterback of the future. But we're in a situation where the Saints have lost four straight games and the receiving corp is not going to get better. There's literally no, you know, waiting in the wings for that. So having a quarterback that can offer that extra dimension to me is just something you have to try at this stage. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Ross, can you talk about just that impact, what it will be on the play calling? Because we're assuming still probably, assuming that Alvin Kamara, uh, obviously, well, not assuming, we know Alvin Kamara will not be available tonight. Um, but what can they utilize? Deontay Harris won't be there as well because um, of the suspension. So we have all these little things going on, but what can you do with Taysom that you could not do with Trevor Simeon that may get this offense to at least extend some drives? Because that's been the biggest thing. The immediate threes and out, three and outs 
that have just made it impossible for the defense to get a rhythm, get any rest, and impossible for the offense to find any footing because as soon as they're on the field, they're right back off. If I if I, I understand correctly, I think Deontay Harris is available. Oh yeah, that's right. I'm sorry, you're right. No, because he's appealing the suspension. Right. Yeah, and then the suspension can't kick in until yeah. And so so I, what I, here's here's the thing for me. You know, Maddie made a really good observation about what Taysom Hill was asked to do in the four games that he started last year. I I wonder how much of that in terms of the maintaining the pocket passer presence had to do with the fact that they eventually needed to knew that they were going to hand that offense right back to Drew Brees once he was healthy. Uh, absolutely. You know what I mean? And so in this situation, when you're probably turning to Taysom Hill for the rest of the season, as long as he can stay healthy, are you able to really change this offense a bit and go to those half field reads? If the linebacker does this, then you do this. If the linebacker does this, then you do this. If it's not there, then run. Do you get that opportunity with Taysom Hill knowing that you don't have to hand this offense back to a a, a career pocket passer like Jabris in this situation? So I'll be really interested to see what types of things are able to mix in that way and where Sean Payton takes the opportunity to say, hey, this quarterback lets me be weird. It lets me get yeah. weird, so let's get weird. Are you going to see some of those wildcat formations where they actually hand the ball off to Taysom Hill on a jet sweep so that he gets a full you know, head of steam like a locomotive and you know, doing what it is that Taysom Hill does? You know, So are there going to be those types of situations that we get to see them? Do they mix in Trevor Simeon in certain plays to be a decoy under center when they just want to get the ball to Taysom Hill in space? Like, Are they able to take advantage of what Taysom Hill brings him not just under center, but what he had the way that he impacts the offense as a whole. And 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 I do think that look, this receiving core has not been great so far this season. We all definitely know that. But some of these players that are going to be out there, Taysom Hill has been working with for two, three years. He would right. be the one that has the best communication with them out of anybody outside of Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston obviously had a really, really good bond with Marquez Callaway. You can see that on and off the field. So I, I don't want to, I don't want to diminish that. But working with guys like you know some of these second, third team receivers. Those have been the guys that Taysom Hill's been working with all season. So does that give him a little bit more confidence in knowing what window is open versus not open? And does he feel more comfortable taking advantage of that because he's been working with them in that practice sort of environment uh, for the entire season so far? Same thing with some of these offensive linemen. So I think that that's what it comes down to. And even just the mechanics, the precision of understanding the way that this offense is supposed to work, how deep a drop back is supposed to be. We saw how much trouble that gave Trevor Simeon. Is Taysom Hill a little bit more versed into what that is because of his consistent and 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 in some cases almost obsessive studying of Drew Brees during his time trying to become a starting quarterback in the NFL? Who better to obsess over than a guy like Drew Brees? <laughs> How does that impact what the New Orleans Saints are able to do on a more consistent basis, including the run game, of course, which we're talking about a Dallas Cowboys team that in five of the last five games since the bye week has given up over 100 team rushing yards. They've surrendered that over and over again, while in four of the last five games, they've failed to reach 100 team rushing yards on their own. How much does the run game impact? How much does the precision impact? And how much does that create more efficiency than what we've seen over the last four games with Trevor Simeon? That's what I was going to say. I, I thought you made a really great point with, um, and I've now totally lost my train of thought that I thought you had. It was some, come back to me. Sure. <laughs> running, well, I think the running game is the emphasis for tonight's game for both teams because the Saints mm -hmm. are going to have to get to the 30 plus carries in this. You know, it can't be 20 carries, it can't be 22. It's got to get close to 30 for this team to win against Dallas. So you can take advantage of that bad Dallas secondary 
which gives up plays. They're going to rush the passer. The only way to slow that down with this sec- weak offensive, weaker offensive line is to run the football and make Dallas susceptible to play action, make them susceptible to some rollouts. If they don't do that, if the Saints don't run the football first and foremost tonight, it's going to be a long evening for them. I remember what I was going to say, and it kind of ties into that uh, when you're talking about play action, because, you know, I remember it kind of being noticeable that Drew started running a little heavier play action towards the Mm -hmm. end of last season. And I think that was largely a product of getting, you know, time for these newer receivers because Brees struggled with, you know, his his crop of Lil Jordan Humphrey and Juwan Johnson at wide receiver last year when, you know, Manuel Sanders and Michael Thomas were out. Even Brees, Mm -hmm. you know, had issues surmounting that. And so that was something that I noticed that they had, you know, really implemented. That's something that obviously favors Taysom. But I remember what I was going to say. I think you made a great point, Ross, about the fact that like Trevor Simeon didn't have that time behind Drew Brees, like Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill did. And you could see it. You could really see it. And that's why the two minute drill evaluation for me, at least over the preseason was so important. And that's really where the edge, you know, very much went to Winston by the end of that was him being able to have that same type of, you know, composure in that two minute drill. And, you know, I, we've kind of seen Simeon lack that at least in the first half, um, specifically, you know, kind of break down in situational awareness. So does, you know, Hill studying, you know, Breeze, like you said, to an obsessive degree, uh, but again, you know, also being in the huddle with Breeze while he's calling these plays and having that opportunity to line up, you know, while an all time great is throwing you the ball. It's like that extra layer of understanding that, I think really also should help here because like you said, not only does Hill have more time like practicing with these wide receiver one wide receiver two wasn't a coincidence to me that when Simeon came in off the bench, his first reads were to Alex Armand, Garrett Griffin, because that's who he practices with, but he's also spent time running probably all of these routes. So he really knows, you know, where they're supposed to be as long as they run the correct route. That's what it comes down to. But mm-hmm. He might not have Breeze's accuracy, but he has that edge on knowing the receiver route, perhaps. I think this will be an electric night in the Superdome. It always is when Dallas comes to town. Um, And I think this is a game that has to be played in the mid to low 20s. If it gets higher than that, uh, the Saints are not going to win a track meet with the Dallas offense if it gets untracked. But I feel like the Saints have the opportunity tonight to win this game. All right, Maddie, let's get your thoughts on tonight's game and what the Saints are going to have to do if they are going to steal this win from the Cowboys at the Dome. They're going to have to get weird, like Ross was saying before. I think that's really the key to success here. It's not as if there's talent waiting in the wings that's going to come back, you know, in the immediate future, you know, past, I guess, Adam Trotman um, in a couple of weeks. But with the chips that they have now, you know, it's not as if Taysom's walking into a better situation than Simeon was the difference is his ability to use his legs should they unleash that and I really think they have to play off of that and kind of use Mark Ingram the way that they use Alvin Kamara and in a way that he's kind of proved capable uh, of being you know a receiving option uh, especially for the screen passes that the team really likes to run out of the backfield Um, and so being able to get some of those fundamental uh, steps back even at this point would be something and you know just again how defenses react to mobile quarterbacks um and how, you know, you can look at how the team themselves has to prepare for, you know, facing people like Jalen Hurts at quarterback and things like that. There's that extra layer of, is he going to take off and run? That affects, you know, what the pass rush does. It affects the linebackers do. And that momentary pause of, are they going to run at me or is he going to throw it? That, that gives the receivers a little extra time to get open 
um, and, and using things like play action and, and that being believable when you have Mark Ingram and, and Taysom Hill out there, because there has to be, you know, the threat of the run for that to really work. And I think this team is really built on a foundation of a strong running game. Uh, they've just really you know gotten away with that with injuries to running back one and running back two. But I don't know where Taysom falls in the running back ratings at this point, but <laughs> that's all you can call him. To me, it's better to have two running backs out there than, than a quarterback who really can't do anything at the helm. I'm curious to see if they implement Alcom Perry in the future, just because he kind of fits that Taysom Hill versatility thing where if he's going to be the starting quarterback now, they do lose the element of him being a receiving option. I think one of you brought up a point before about if Trevor Simeon came in and, and threw a pass, my only pause would be if they're not willing to activate Ian Book, then that's really risky to have them both out there on the field. So if they're able to have someone out there that can play that Taysom Hill role type even a little bit, just to add again, an element of confusion, but it, it's not going to be the pocket passer, you know, pretty NFL offense that kind of, you know, makes headlines, uh, but is sometimes unsustainable. If you look at the Rams, you know, there has to be some dimension there. So I, I think that he does offer a dimension. I don't know how much of it tonight, but uh, I don't know if we brought this up already, but with his foot, again, it doesn't make much of a difference if he's running or planning it to throw a ball. It's still going to be painful either way. So I don't see that limiting him as much in the mobility. It's really just, you know, if they're able to design this offense in a way that caters to those strengths uh, with such a short turnaround. I think that three games in 11 days is really underrated as well. Uh, and that wear and tear on players as well as having that early buy. So if we don't see it, perhaps, you know, a full fledged game plan tonight, um, I think we've talked about this as a must win, but we, I feel like that's kind of been the case for several of these last couple games. So saying that there's a strong chance that they aren't able to, you know, beat the Cowboys at the end of the day, but they have a strong enough team that we talked about those end game stretch being entirely winnable. Uh, then that gives them a little time to regroup after this, you know, kind of maniacal three game stretch. So I'm, I just hope that we see an offense that, you know, is built for a guy like Taysom Hill, a quarterback uh, throughout, you know, the end of the season, not so much tonight, but, you know, as this fun chaotic season comes to a close, hopefully with a wild card birth. Cause that would be Taysom's first. I mean, the, he hasn't been the starting quarterback for a playoff game before. So it's a lot of potential that can happen. It's just if they're able to make do with what they have. Yeah, Ross, it's, it's not only on the offense, you know, obviously they've got to, to get something going, make something uh, happen in the first half, especially score some points to give yourself a chance in the second half. But defensively, the pass rush is going to be so important tonight. You know the, the, the running game is going to get uh, emphasized by the Cowboys. Like you said, they have not been on track so far the last couple weeks, but they can still get big plays out of Tony Pollard. They can still give it to Ezekiel Elliott 25 times, and he will, he will batter your defense. It's going to be a big challenge for that limited Saints front seven, and particularly on the linebackers, Quan Alexander, Demario Davis, Pete Werner. They're going to have to have exceptional games tonight uh, for this team. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, the defensive side as well as the offensive side. Look, what this all comes down to for me is 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 precision 
as well as efficiency. And through precision, you get efficiency, but you're going to have to be precise in terms of manufacturing a pass rush, opening up lanes for second level pass rushers to be able to penetrate. And they got in their own way a couple of times. The Saints defense did last week where, you know, they created the lanes, but then it, the lanes were filled by more than one player. So spacing issues, lane discipline issues, things like that in the second half against the Buffalo Bills, you're going to have to be more precise than that in, in this game going up against this offense. When it comes down to what wins this game it's that precision it's that efficiency and it's going to be winning this game in the trenches and trying doing whatever you can to win the turnover margin uh, over the last five games the dallas cowboys have generated five giveaways or excuse me five takeaways but they've also turned the ball over eight times so actually plus three right now in their turnover differential over the last five games They've been a team that is willing to give the ball over multiple times in three of those five games as well. So this is this is something to where the New Orleans Saints have a clear path to victory. It's just that, or a clear formula to victory, excuse me. It's just whether or not the team, these players, knowing that they're down to second, third teamers on offense in a couple of places on defense, a very thin defensive line, which doesn't allow you to rotate, which by the way, I'll be very interested to see if Zach Bond gets to, rep gets to reprise his pass rusher role from college in this game, rotating along with Carl Granderson, you saw the benefit that having a speed rusher like Carl Granderson gave you last week up against Buffalo. Can you rotate a pair of those guys and get Zach Bond involved off the edge while Carl Granderson rushes from the interior, perhaps? So lots of different ways for the Saints to be able to generate something new look, not only on offense, but also on defense. But they're going to have to be able to win that turnover battle. And they have that clear formula. It's just about whether or not these players are going to be able to execute the game plan that Sean Payton, uh, the game plan that Dennis Allen is going to put out there. We'll learn a lot on the first 15 scripted plays from both of these teams, getting a look at the Saints offense through those, getting a look at the Saints defense through Dallas's. I think it's going to be a big part of all this. All, all the while, by the way, Dallas doesn't have any of their offensive line coaches, their head coach, and they're going to have Dan Quinn calling, you know, being the guy that's going to be heading up this uh, Dallas Cowboys team with none other than old Ben McAdoo in his ear, who's 13 and 15 as a head coach in the NFL. So there's a path here. It's just about whether or not the Saints can be efficient and precise and actually be able to, you know, uh, execute what this game plan needs to be in order to find a way the the game script to victory in this one. Yeah, it's it was it's always in your favor, number one, to have Mike McCarthy on the other sideline. But now that he's not there and you get to go to Dan Quinn and, and McAdoo, hey, you, you know, look, you're you're certainly you're familiar with, too. Yes, very familiar with and who Sean Payton has had a lot of success against Dan Quinn um, over his career. Uh, this Cowboys team is dysfunctional, too, and it feels like they're a few things from, you know, teetering themselves. They're always fragile in their confidence and their seasons can fall apart pretty quickly. If the Saints can get out to a decent start, you can force Dallas into a position again where they start going, we might lose four in a row, or we might lose this. You know, for Dallas, it can become a spiral really quickly. And I think the Saints have to really rely early on creating something. I think that's where, when Maddie talks about getting weird, mm -hmm. you got to get that, you've got to generate a moment in that first quarter for the fans to get engaged, for the team to feel like there's a real opportunity to win this game not just because you're on the field, but because something has happened that is a, of a real positive nature. And it's going to come down to also that secondary is going to have to make a couple plays. I mean, Marshawn Lattimore has to be better. Paul Sunday has to be better. They, they cannot allow yards after the catch. And these Cowboys receivers, that's what they do really well. 
Yeah, and I'll, I'll mention that, you know, the New Orleans Saints defense was on it in the first half up against yeah. Buffalo. They stole possessions for this New Orleans Saints offense, and the offense just simply wasn't able to cash in on four possessions that that defense ended up cementing. Two third down sacks that ended drives, forced a field goal on one, forced a punt in another, and then two straight interceptions as well. And so this is going to be a big piece to this to this potential New Orleans Saints win as well. If they want to win, if they can get those extra possessions, particularly in the first half, and turn those into points, which is what we've seen Saints offenses of the past be very, very good at turning turnovers into points, that is something that this New Orleans Saints offense will have to be able to do this week if that defense can start off strong. The defense lightened up in the second half because they ended up being gassed by the end of all of it with three and out after three and out and quick possession after quick possession. I think the Saints only had one, maybe two possessions over four minutes in that game, and one of which was the big 10-play touchdown drive in the fourth quarter, which we're, which we were at this point so overseeing when it came to Trevor Simeon-led offenses. And so I think that that becomes a big part of it. Yeah, that defense does have to be better, but that defense has shown very, very recently that they can be mm -hmm. as long as the exchange and complementary play is there on both sides of the ball. I was going to say the time of possession is just so staggering when you talk about those, you know, the need to start strong with, though they they've been, you know, going either punting, turning it over on downs uh, and going three and out for their first several drives in these past couple of games. And so the defense, you know, when you talk about the fact that there's no rotation on the pass rush, then you add in the fact that they're on the field for a really long time and really early. And, and so that endurance factor is just something that I've been trying to be cognizant of um, when, you know, the defense has struggled with things like cross, crossing routes and things of that nature. Um, at the same time, they just have looked gassed and they look totally gassed in the Philadelphia game um, by, by the end of that game, just with the time possession, just being so staggering. I don't, I didn't really look at the numbers from the bills games. It really was just bad game yeah. that I, didn't really feel needed more analysis than the game before it. It's just kind of clear that they had reached a point of, you know, climax one way or the other to make a change. But yeah, I think starting strong and, and capitalizing on turnovers and not turning them all over. Um, that's, it, it's kind of back to error-free football, um, which we kind of always knew was the winning formula. It's just Ross said, you know, having the players that are able to execute the game plan, that's, the paramount challenge. So really it's, yeah, it's that execution of those things that we know that this team can capitalize on and, and win games with past talent. At the very least, I think what we're looking for, you know, in the broad sense offensively is taste some above 60% completions, no interceptions. You want to see the offense, you know, 50% on third down at least, which is something that they've struggled to get to all season. Uh, you know, doing those things offensively, because ultimately, even if they don't win tonight, you want to have that thing that you can put in the pocket for this 11 day stretch that you get, you know, 10 days that you get before the Jets to say, OK, they're building on this. It was Taysom's first start, but we see this, this and this coming forward. And I think that's offensively the main thing that I'd want to take away defensively. Like you said, it's can they get off the field for themselves? And then, number one, does the offense give them any kind of support so they're not out there? 32, 34, 37 minutes, as we've seen as of late. And it's it hasn't all been on them. But again, you're five and six. This is a stretch of games that we always said, get through that hard middle and be in position to chase a playoff berth. That's where they are. For good, for better, or for worse, they're right there to give you an opportunity to go to the playoffs. With everything that's happened, I think, hey, you can't complain that much. You can't really complain that much as a Saints fan. You can hate the way you got here, 
You have every right to complain about the way that it got this way, the individual games. But as far as the position, it could be a lot worse. Yeah, and we can have thoughtful like discussion about this despite losing four games in a row. Um, this really speaks to the you know culture of this team and, and kind of that confidence in their ability to turn things around, you know, with players on the field. You know, there's there's like the 49ers this- last year, it was like you just can't overcome a certain amount of injuries to your team. It doesn't matter, you know, if you're turning over from a quarterback, it doesn't matter about the salary cap exodus. If all of your starting players aren't on the field, then it doesn't matter what happened in the off season and, and everything, because it's not the team that you, pl- you planned for at all. No, I, I think it's, yeah, I think that's one of the false arguments, you know, and, and Ross, I, I, you know, you hear it all the time is that, well, if Drew Brees, we were spoiled because of Drew Brees. It's not just that. You could have Drew Brees on the field, but if Drew Brees has no offensive linemen, he has no wide receivers, he has no running back, if his defense is decimated, which we've seen the Saints play with a decimated defense and a full-strength Saints offense that was breaking records and they finished 7-9. and nine. So Drew Brees doesn't correct the problems. He might make it look, again, might make it look a little better. He might have stolen that game against Atlanta. He might have stolen another one here or there. But ultimately, the problems of this team wouldn't be solved. By ha- just by having Drew Brees under center. Right. And and I think that like the place where you can say, oh, Drew Brees spoiled New Orleans Saints fans is if you're getting average quarterback play without Drew Brees, which over the last four weeks, quarters one through three, you've had literally the least efficient quarterback play in the NFL amongst qualifying quarterbacks. And so I don't think that the Drew Brees has spoiled fans or the Drew Brees has spoiled this community or whatever is really valid in that conversation. Because in that case, Sam Darnold has spoiled the (laughs) Carolina Panthers. In that case, Joe Flacco spoiled the Baltimore (laughs) Ravens, right? So there's, there's not really a real comprehensible understanding in terms of what Drew Brees gave you versus and in, and in trying to engage with what Trevor Simeon has given you over the course of the last two games in particular, because I agree with Maddie and what she mentioned earlier, it's not all Trevor Simeon, right? I mean, you've been dealing with all these injuries, everything like that. He threw 88.2% catchable pass rate in the first two games, but his pass rate and catchable pass rate over the last two games was so bad that that number has dropped to 63.2%. That's a 25% drop. So you have to work really, really hard for two games, half of your matchups to be able to drop something a full 25% from where it was two games before. So I, I don't think that the Drew Brees factor is actually relevant in where we are. If we were talking about average quarterback play, if we were talking about the kind of quarterback play that let's say the uh, Los Angeles Rams were getting, which right now feels very average. If we were talking about the quarterback play that even the even the the Cleveland Browns, who have has probably been subpar so far this season with Baker Mayfield, I think in that case you might be able to say, oh, this team was spoiled by X. But right now, when you're talking about the least efficient quarterback play in the NFL and that this team has seen in 16 years, then no, I don't think that it's that relevant. I think that what you're seeing is bad football, and that's something that this team has not produced as a whole not just the quarterback as a whole for numerous years at this point in the NFL. And I will say where the only thing that the, the breeze thing sticks out to me is and I think a very underrated aspect of his, you know, abilities that kind of came out more this year was him setting protection calls at the line. Yeah. That, that is where yeah, I sure. think you see the loss of him hurt the most because when then you think about the fact that Eric McCoy had an injury in the first game of the season and then you add in the fact that 
He had previously not been the one setting protection calls and Cesar Ruiz certainly wasn't the one setting protection calls. So that onus kind of falling on ev everyone at the same time, I think has contributed to somewhat of the slide. Um, and I, I think um, it might've been Mike Triplett wrote an article about this. I can't remember about how just the turnover in general to a new quarterback, uh, not knowing how they drop back and, and things like that. I think there's been times where, you know, Trevor has backslid a little more than they would have imagined. Uh, so I think there's very specific teeth in the Drew Brees argument, but I agree with Ross that it's, you know, it's not average quarterback play. It's just been, you know, really, really, really bad. Yeah, if it offense. is, if this were the 11th game of, of Jameis playing that way. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Your argument holds water, but Jameis wasn't playing that way through seven games. That wasn't the standard you, you were getting good NFL caliber starting quarterback play. Well, yeah, this is your third string quarterback. You're going to get third string quarterback level play. It's going to happen. That's what expectations. I yeah. Like, yeah. Let's temper that and bring it down. But now, okay, Taysom Hill, this is your opportunity. And I think if you're a Saints fan, whether no matter what you feel about Taysom, and you know it's a hard emotional thing for a lot of people. And Maddie lives in the in the middle of that world. But <laughs> look, do you want the team to win or not? That's the main thing. And and, and I want to see Taysom do well because you want to see the team do well. So I hope Taysom goes out and performs at an adequate level, if not better. And, and establishes himself as a viable option because you need them. This is the NFL. You need two viable options under center in this league. And, and Taysom needs to and can is given the opportunity at this point to establish all those things. He has the confidence. Sean Payton has the confidence in him. Clearly, this organization has given him enough to say we believe in you to an extent. So now go out there and take it. That's what it's there for. Go take it. All for it. Like I said, it's kind of a perfect opportunity for someone like Taysom to just go and lay it all out on the field. And I hope he does. Yeah. What, what's there to lose for if you're Taysom Hill? You have to go be Taysom Hill for all the stuff, the learning behind Drew Brees and the copying and watching. Yeah. Great. Take the lessons, but go be the best Taysom Hill that you can possibly be. And that's not going to be replicating what Drew Brees does. You are not that guy. So go be the best Taysom Hill. Make things happen. And let chips fall where they may. But if you don't play scared, you're, there's there's nobody behind you. You know what I mean? They're not. Trevor Simeon is not a threat. Ian Book is not a threat. So play like you are legitimately QB one and go out there and establish yourself. And whether you fail or you succeed, do it on the, the strength of what you think was going to be best as quarterback. Don't come off the field and try to make Drew's decisions or Jameis's decisions or Trevor's decisions. Make Taysom's decisions and live with them. Sound cliche, but like, you know, oh my God, what is happening to me today? I completely lost my train of thought again. <laughs> it's last it's night. It's last night. It's catching up really? with you. You went to the Pelicans game and this is what happens to people who go to Pelicans games. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it was psyching. Somebody, somebody get AD on the phone. Not even Herb can doing. defend that comment. Yeah. My gosh. <laughs> you know, look, there were a lot of turtlenecks. Oh, I was just going to say. Greatness has to come from within. You can't have someone else's greatness and make that, you know, your own greatness. You have to forge your own path. Right. So that was my cliche saying of the day that can go on the coffee mug. Big fan. <laughs> Remember the Titans. <laughs> Whatever else we can throw in. Uh, figuratively or literally, if you want to talk about the Titans. <laughs>
True. Forget the forget the Titans. <laughs> Lydia was trying to forget that game. That's insane. Forget the Titans. Forget the Falcons. Forget the <laughs> forget the last four weeks. Let's do yeah. that. Remember yeah. the Titans. Let's just let's just see them make some kick make some extra points in this one. Yes. Ah, uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. That yes. part of football. And Maddie, just just stay off Twitter tonight. Do not get on Twitter. Do not leave it alone. Leave, leave it, it be. Alone. Taint worth it. Take it from us. Take it from us. Stay. I I've, I think I've learned enough lessons the hard way. <laughs> this one out. Yeah. Sit it out. Just just turn it on. Notifications off. I mean, I'll be hosting the show tomorrow. So, like I said, if anyone wants to call in on Friday and roast me to a smithereen, feel free. Uh, if look, that's that ends up happening. No, no, you're not gonna get roasted. Let them come for you. Be ready. Be prepared to take whatever you got coming for you. But it ain't. Hey, there's no. It's your show. That's what I t- when you're on the mic. It's your show. So nobody comes roast you on your show. Nope. Nobody comes. No, no. You run it. They want to say something. Click, click, click. See ya. You, Bye. This you are you are the dictator of your own nation when you're behind <laughs> the mic. All right. No one can speak. There's no there's no First Amendment on my show. There's no First Amendment. There's only what I allow to be said. <laughs> so that's the approach, man. <laughs> These are these are the full Darth Vader. <laughs> you keep the well peasants done. at bay with an iron fist. <laughs> Opens in a growl. <laughs> Mad dog. Mad dog personality. Oh man. Oh man. That I'm hurt my cheeks. You up so bad for tomorrow because man's gonna come out all pissed and be like, "I'll bring that shit," and I'm like. Oh. Oh, you said you couldn't roast someone on your own show. Well, let me try. <laughs> oh, geez. guys, thank y'all so much. This has been, uh, it's always fun when we talk. It's always fun. And uh, like at some point we have to get the three in one place and do this together. And I think it just be, it would just be fantastic. We need to record it, you know, have it on video, everything, and just have a blast with it. But this, oh, is, yeah. this has become one of my new favorite things to do this. I love having you both on the show. I love appearing with both of you whenever you have me on yours. So um, this is great. This is, and Maddie, we're just so proud. We're so happy to have you. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. You guys are really the best, honestly. <laughs> like, love the two of you. Because we don't let death. people in easy. <laughs> You're the first one we let in. We don't, let, sure. we don't just be letting anybody in here. First sure. patrol. And you have hair. <laughs> the exactly. hair we got past the hair. You know, the genitalia was the easy part. We were able to get past yeah. that. We don't describe That's it. fine. But the hair. The hair. Listen, if Taysom uh, wins, takes his team to the playoffs, we can record an episode and I will have a bald cap on. Oh, I thought she was going to let us shave it for a second. I was like. I was about to say, please don't do all that. I spend way too cap, much money on my hair and shave it. Yeah, I was about to say, don't, don't do that. But the bald cap, yeah, 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 yeah. We'll switch it up, and then and then uh, Grub and I will throw on some blonde wigs. Yeah, we'll get, we'll get blonde wigs. And <laughs> my I'm moms. sure. I'm sure Megan will help me get get my hands on a blonde wig somewhere. Uh, I know, yeah, my daughter does cosplay, so I'm sure she'll help me find yeah. just the right wig. So yeah, if the Saints make the playoffs, that's the thing. Maddie yeah. wears the ball cap. Ross and I get wigs for one special episode. We take a picture. All right. Love it. (laughs) Until the next time, this has been the Dome Patrol plus one more. Um, I am David Grove for Hard to Paint, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Have a good one, everybody. Enjoy the game tonight.